Do Bible passages have more than one meaning? You know, it's interesting that this question has been handled by people on both sides of the theological aisle, that is, theological conservatives and theological liberals, and both have said yes and no to this question. And that's pretty interesting because normally you would think that there wouldn't be any crossover on a question like this, because it is a question of truth, after all. For myself, I think the answer to this question is that there can only be one meaning in a biblical text. Now, the argument normally comes philosophically. That is to say that truth, for better or worse, is relative. Truth is in relation to the person speaking. It's in relation to the time in which we live. It's in relation to so many other circumstances. So truth is fluid, not fixed, and therefore the Bible in any given passage can have more than one meaning. That would be the liberal argument. Well, the conservative argument against what I'm saying would sound something like this. God is infinite. God is all-knowing, and God is all-wise. Even there is a God-centered element and a man-centered element of any meaning of a text. That would be what the author intends, the human author, and what God intends, the author over all other authors. And since that's true, we can't render down a passage to just one meaning as if we are limiting God in what he has to say to us. So that would be the conservative argument against what I'm saying. But I think the Bible only has one meaning in any given passage. Let me tell you why. I want to quote a few sources here, uh, both from the Bible and from external sources. The first is from William Klein. A really good book, Introduction to Biblical Interpretation. It's very thick, but it deals with genre, it deals with literary forms, writing styles, those kind of things. And uh, it says this, To know what they meant by the words used, we have to understand their message consistent with the way people ordinarily use language to communicate ideas. They did not convey their thoughts through secret codes. Like most writers... The authors wrote in a straightforward and direct manner so that readers would understand their message and live consistently with it. Now, the argument that's being made here is that the Bible is given to us in written form. And since the Bible is in written form, we should treat it the same way that we treat other writings. That is, we should analyze literary form, we should analyze sentence structure, we should analyze use of which words uh, employed by the writers, and we should interpret it as a message given to us to be understood in a straightforward sense. Now, that doesn't mean literalistic sense per se, but it does mean a straightforward sense. That is to say that there are not special codes. Uh, Gosh, you know, turn on the History Channel or something like that, and you hear reference to Bible codes and how somehow thousands of years removed, everything in the Old and New Testament has to do with 20th and 21st century America. I don't know how that is, but it's just, you know, (laughs) that's just the 
absurdity of ways to understand the Bible. And that's just totally off the radar if we're going to treat it as a written communication to us and to interpret it as such. There's some other things that should be thought of in this uh, argument that I'm making here. Uh, Two passages from the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians. He says this to the congregation, Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. 2 Corinthians 2.15 And then again in 2 Corinthians 3.14, Paul says this, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter. Now, what's, what's happening with both of those passages is that the written word of God is given to us based on its own argument there in propositional terms to convey a message to us. These words by Paul only make sense if we are to be if they are to be understood objectively in terms of its meaning. And I think because of this, that means that the Bible can only have one meaning from any given verse. Now, it is true that we have a deeper level of meaning in and through Christ. We understand uh, the full sense of what's being said, but it's not as if an interpretation of something uh, that is Christ-centered changes an original interpretation or an original meaning. I'll give you another couple quotes from Klein. He says that the author encoded the meaning in the text and our objective is to discover it, at least to the extent that we are able to recover it in the text. And so we are trying to uncover meaning, if you will. This is one of the reasons why studying the original languages of the Bible is such an important endeavor. If meaning doesn't matter, or if meaning is uh, multiplicitous, to use a fancy word there, then the original language doesn't really matter because the original language would just represent to us one meaning of several. And we could, in fact, throw out the whole grammatical, historical, literary uh, investigation of the biblical text because we could say, well, yeah, those are just kind of uh, certain types of meanings in the Bible, but then there's the just spiritual meaning of the Bible, and I can have that without any study whatsoever. J. Gresham Machen, one of the most uh, important men around in the early 20th century in the fight against theological liberalism, uh, wrote a wonderful book, Christianity and Liberalism. But he was the uh, founder of Westminster Theological Seminary, but before that he was a professor at Princeton Seminary. In fact, he was uh, one of the most notable New Testament scholars. And in addition to his book, Christianity and Liberalism, uh, there's also a book that you can still get today. It is an introduction to the New Testament. And he says this in regard to the New Testament, uh, dealing with uh, issues of meaning and interpretation. He says this, Christianity is based upon historical facts. Attempts, it is true, are often made to separate it from history. But they are bound to result in failure. Give up history, and you can retain some good things, but you can never retain a gospel. 
For gospel means good news. And good news means tidings, information derived from the witness of others. In other words, it means history. Again, the point that he's making there is that if we care about Christ, if we care about the gospel, we should actually care about the historical nature of the Bible. We should care about the literary structure of the Bible. If the Bible is a good news message given to us, communicating a historical fact, communicated by literary devices, by languages, by verb forms, and all of those kind of things, then it's communicated to us in a straightforward sense and understanding of meaning. If truth is communicated to us, it must be understood objectively, and therefore singularly, not this truth, that truth, that truth, and that truth. Now, I want to qualify this by saying, arguing for one meaning in the Bible doesn't mean one level of significance or one application. We could say that there are endless applications, endless levels of significance in the biblical text, but those come from the singular meaning from God to us. You can read John 3.16 and the impact can be different for me than it is from you. But it doesn't mean something different to me than it does to you. It means what it means. God is saying what he is saying. The truth of the matter is the truth of the matter. But the reality of that played out in our lives can vary from person to person. It can speak to us at different levels of intensity. It can apply to our lives in different ways. But if we care about truth, if we care about the inspiration of the Bible, if we care about the fact that God is truth, that he never lies, then we must care about the dignity of the Bible, that it has one unified meaning from beginning to end, and each and every passage have one meaning, not endless meaning.